people who are more anxious or insecure, they, they do tend to look to others or to external things to define who they are. Thank you for joining us on Doorknob Comments, a podcast that we created to discuss all things involving mental health. We take the view that psychiatry is not just about the absence of illness, but rather the positive qualities, presence of health and strong relationships, and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. I'm Dr. Farah White. And I'm Dr. Grant Brenner. Today, we're going to talk about something that has been on Grant's mind about relationships and why people sometimes break up and then get back together. Well, I mean, when you say it's been on my mind, it's because I I posted a blog about it because I saw a pretty interesting research paper. And I've seen a lot of papers on why do people break up? Why do people cheat on each other? What makes relationships happy? And this one was about something called self-concept clarity, which is a psychological concept I've been tracking for for a while. So what is like a what does self-concept mean? Well, self-concept clarity and, and sense of self has a kind of a specific definition. And it it means what it sounds like, which is how explicitly aware are you of different important aspects of your identity that mm-hmm. make you feel like who you are in the world. Yeah. And of course there's ways of measuring it that psychologists use. And so do you think that people like derive a lot of that self-concept from those around them? Is that something that like everyone tends to do or that only people who necessarily like don't have that? sense of self do. Right. So, well, that's one of the interesting things. And different people to varying degrees have a greater sense of self-integrity and other people have a more diffuse and tenuous sense of self, right? People are more fragile. People who are more anxious or insecure, they, they do tend to look to others or to external things to define who they are. There's, I don't remember the name of the movie, but there's like a Julia Roberts movie where she's like engaged to a lot of different guys. And every time she's like with a new guy, she takes her eggs a different way. And she has no idea who she really is, but she's just sort of finding herself in these relationships. Right, like people talk about feeling like they're frauds, right? Or Mm -hmm. being chameleons or being authentic or inauthentic. Yeah, and I thought of the movie Zelig, you know, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately a Woody Allen movie. I was thinking of The Runaway Bride. That's The Runaway Bride. Mm -hmm. Well, that's more to the point, right? Because people can be overly defined by their romantic relationships. They can be too defined by their work as well. Yeah, but would you say that that the people who are defined by like work or their romantic relationships, would you say that that's that there's some hope that they can figure out and develop their sense of self? A stronger sense of self. Right. But but can they develop it within a relationship or while they're still in the in the workplace or is it something that they need to like just work on completely independently? Well, I mean I think you would agree that it varies a lot from person to person. Mm -hmm. If you're too enmeshed with your work or with a relationship, then it's harder to do. And and it's a little bit of a chicken in the egg situation to continue with the egg theme. Because if you're very enmeshed, then it's going to be hard to get enough space to define oneself. And a lot of times for couples, that's what they're negotiating is getting more space. Right. So there's, you know, me time, you know, and with work, sometimes people need to quit their jobs and and have some time off with relationships, especially people who tend to get into serially dysfunctional relationships. I like the idea of relationship sobriety. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of work on yourself, but a lot of people can work on themselves in a healthy relationship or, you know, a healthy enough relationship, especially if both people are walking the same path. But if you have one person who's kind of 
invested in not changing and the other mm -hmm. person is trying to change, then that's a little harder. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of this stuff starts in childhood. And we can talk a, a, just a little bit about like maybe attachment theory and how as kids develop, they have their own thoughts and feelings. And sometimes there is a lot of tolerance for that in the home. And sometimes there's not so much. What is that that you're holding? Uh, this is a Radiohead like ugly doll. Okay. When you talked about sort of developmental issues, I thought about trauma. Okay. And for listeners, you know, this is one of those dolls that looks vaguely devilish with pointy mm -hmm. ears and a mouth with a lot of teeth and, yeah. and it's covering its face in horror. It says a bunch of things on it, but it says everything in its right place, which is the lyric from um, one of the songs on, I think, Kid A. Mm -hmm. I could actually play it now, but mm -hmm. I think that might be a copyright infringement. <laughs> Think so too. So but, yeah, yeah, developmental issues for for sure. You know, attachment theory. It's a theory, but I, I think it's a valid one in this sense because what we're talking about is people separating from a loved one. You know, a boyfriend or girlfriend, and I think that like we lay the foundation for that in in childhood. And what was it like to separate when you went to kindergarten for the first time? Or what was it like to separate if you went to sleepaway camp? That kind of thing. Right. Well, there's plenty of data that developmental experiences, particularly experiences with, with parents, do actually shape adult relationships, mm -hmm. including people's parenting style, the way they were parented. There's research that shows that children of parents who tried to control them too much psychologically and didn't provide enough behavioral support. You know, behavioral control can be healthy for kids, guidelines for how to act mm -hmm. rather than sort of getting inside their head and, and who didn't provide a lot of emotional support. Those kids grow up with a greater risk of getting into emotionally abusive relationships uh, yeah. along with other forms of abuse. With, with attachment theory, um, I think what you were alluding to was the way they measure attachment theory in babies, right? In, in mm -hmm. toddlers. Yeah. What's the name of that study? The Strange Situation is strange. what it's called. <laughs> yes. And so basically what they did was they had, I don't remember how old the babies were, in a room and they would have them. Okay. Too young to be in experiments, probably. <laughs> okay. Probably, but it was a while ago, but I think it it really is, I mean, the basis for a lot of the attachment theory that's around today, which is that some kids who were left alone might have panicked a little bit, but then when the mom returns, they're like instantly soothable. And yeah, what they, what they look at in the strange situation is not how the baby acts when you tear them away from their mother, <laughs> but how the baby acts when the mother returns. Yeah. And so some kids are just go right back into their mother's arms and they don't really miss a beat and they stop crying and they feel comforted. Um, I think it's the ability to be soothed, the ability to feel comfort. And then some kids, even when the mom comes back, they're just like not able to regain like a sense of composure. Grant right. is hugging his, his doll right now. Actually, he was hugging me, but oh, I can okay. see where that would be confusing on the video. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's there's sort of like, there's two big types of attachment, secure and insecure. And secure attachment is like what you want. Right. And then also supposedly therapy can help people become more secure in adulthood, as well as other experiences with people. And then the insecure attachments, there's two big types. There's a third type that's important, but there's uh, anxious and, and dismissive mm -hmm. or or sometimes they call anxious, preoccupied, mm -hmm. dismissive, withdrawn. When it comes to breakups, 
It turns out that when people are more anxiously attached, they're more concerned about how they look to the other person, likely to be dependent on the relationship. Those people, if their sense of self is disrupted by a breakup, are significantly more likely to to want to go back to the relationship quickly. The self because they feel clarity, so yeah. they feel so lost without the other person. Well, it's like a loss of their identity, like a loss of sense of self, mm -hmm. right? Who am I? You know, or sometimes you'll you'll hear things like, well, I imagine this different life with the person. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that, that fantasy, um, not just mourning what the relationship was, but mourning what could have been or, you know. Well, it's like fear of change. Yeah. Uh, which is another thing, you know, a lot of times with breakups, people stay in relationships. It's called the status quo effect just because it's better to maintain in some sense of like psychological safety, it's better not to change anything. Mm -hmm. You know, change is risk. Yeah. Plus absolutely. people have, the other thing is the investment they've made in relationships. The more you invest, the harder it is, you know, to throw it down the drain is how yeah. it feels, which also, you know, keeps you stuck, right? And who am I if I am not in this relationship? I'll have to reinvent myself. And people often want to do that, right? They mm -hmm. want to leave a relationship so they can be free to be who they really are, so to speak. Yeah, well, I think we see that um, a lot in divorcees, that they will have seem to have one identity and then suddenly single, like much later in life, they develop something different. And it comes as a surprise for very frequently to, to those around them. Yeah, like people who got tied down early. Mm-hmm may have suppressed important parts of their personalities or sublimated them into the relationship or child rearing. Mm -hmm. And again, you see that with work too, people who go into a, a demanding pre profession early on and they set aside other things that are important to them. And those defenses can be pretty strong because you know, it's hard to say if you're a doctor, for example, you know, be on call and work you know, mm -hmm. 90 hours a week if you're thinking about how you wish you were spending time playing the guitar more, you know, yeah. you have to kind of just put it out of your head. Most people can't hold those ideas together. Right. And that actually made me think about what you said before about investment in, you know, the relationship. And that's like, you know, being a doctor or anything else where you're really investing a lot in your career, it is harder to turn around and like, or just to pivot if it's not making you happy. Yeah, it's a, it's psychologically very powerful, the things yeah. that kind of we convince ourselves mm -hmm. and how we make decisions, right? It's about decision making. I think people struggle with the idea of what it means to be authentic as well. I think that's, you know, sort of how do you know who you are? It's very, it's very hazy for people quite often mm -hmm. where they have ideas about how they should feel, you know, like like I should be doing something that has a lot of purpose and meaning. Mm. versus I want a job with people I like that, you know, pays the bills. Right. A lot of times it's wrapped up with guilt, you know, for example, or, you know, why, why do people do one thing versus another? Why are you with one person versus another? Yeah. yeah, I think it has to do with the value system and what their ideas are and how they see themselves in the world. Do you think or it would be a bad idea to go through some of the questions on the self-concept yeah. clarity scale? Let's do it. That's cool. And I, I don't know, I mean, when they give this scale, 
when someone gives the scale, because I don't do scales in my practice, is it just like a yes or no thing? Is it on uh, one to well, five? Yeah, this isn't something clinicians would usually use. Okay. It's, a, it's a research scale. Yeah, and it's okay. one to five. And some of the items are reverse coded, meaning, you know, that it says the opposite of what it's measuring. And when they score it, they flip the score around. But mm, I think the sorry. questions are, they're good because one thing you can be sure of, if they made a research scale, all of these questions get at a slightly different and, and, and discrete concept. Okay. So like, you know, statistically designed to get at something important. Okay. So then I'm going to read it and you can tell me what you think, you know, it's getting at. So my beliefs about myself often conflict with one another. I don't know what that's getting at. Do you have any thoughts <laughs> about that? <laughs> I, I, well, it gets at self-contradiction. Yeah. Self-contradiction, internal conflict, ambivalence, right? Ambivalence and how aware people are about mm-hmm. it. A yeah. lot of times, you know, the thing is, though, people feel like it's not okay to be self-contradictory. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think it's the norm to be self-contradictory. Oh, absolutely. And I think that one of the goals of, some ways. of what we do is to help people become more integrated. But that's a process, right? right? Make room for conflict. Yeah, exactly. And, but, and- but people are trained to a certain extent to see themselves as being unitary. Right. Well, I think that what people are trained to do really is, you know, like in high school, they would have all of these, you know, like the band people and the theater people and the jocks and whatever else. And there was like this pressure, right? It's hard to run with a tuba. Yeah. But there's like this pressure to like identify with a group, right? Because there's safety in that. And it feels scary to be in conflict or to not really know exactly who you are and to have to sit with that. Right. The way you can kind of lose and merge your individual identity with a group. Mm Mm-hmm. Though I kind of like the idea of band, track, and field. I think that might be entertaining. (laughs) The next one is on one day, I might have one opinion of myself. And on another day, I might have a different opinion. Yeah, still, I think measuring that conflict over time. Or maybe they're talking about self-view, like there are days where you might feel really positive and that you did your best. And then there might be Yeah, yeah. There might be days that, you know, everyone has days where they feel down on themselves. So... I spend a lot of time wondering about what kind of person I really am. Was that a question or were you just saying that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm reading. I'm reading from the list, but oh, okay. I I think, I don't know how much that <laughs> should really be. Why are you laughing? It was, I thought it was kind of funny. Okay. I think that's a positive thing. I think we should all spend a lot of time thinking about who we really are, what's really important to us, all of that. I think that's true, but where do you kind of put your nickel down and kind of know who you are? Because there's value in that as well, I would imagine. I think it's good to be open-minded, but Mm -hmm. it's also kind of like, do I do this too much, right? Right. So if if you answered like a five to this one, it would would go to the lack of self-concept clarity overall. Okay. But I agree with you in general, it's good to self-reflect. Yeah. But you don't want to you don't want to be crippled by self-doubt right. constantly. True. True. Sometimes I feel that I'm not really the person that I appear to be. What is the term that people use? Superficial. Imposter syndrome. Oh, oh. Yeah, I guess imposter syndrome is what I was really thinking of like what people put out in the world, like some even for women will say like when we put on makeup, it's like putting our face on, right? Yeah. Uh, feeling like you have to seem cheerful even when you're not wearing a wearing a happy face or mm-hmm. in the Beatles song Eleanor Rigby she mm-hmm. puts on a face that she keeps in a jar by the door who is it yeah. for all the lonely yeah. people 
Yeah. Well, that goes to authenticity and, mm-hmm. and you know, our, and it goes to cultural factors, too. If, if our culture is more inauthentic, then people can lose their way. And then the next one, when I think about the kind of person I've been in the past, I'm not sure what I was really like. That one to me is interesting because I think a lot of people have trouble like reflecting on their past selves because really any sense of self, no matter how diminished or how fragile is is still evolving. Yeah, I think it's interesting for a similar reason because mm-hmm. it kind of goes to what is sometimes called autobiographical narrative or a coherent sense of self, which actually goes back to attachment because mm-hmm. with adults, the way they measure attachment is they ask you to tell your story and they see how well the story hangs together or mm-hmm. how broken up it is. And people have gaps in their memory and they wonder about that. Mm-hmm. Or if you just don't even have a sense of an arc of your story over time, right? Mm-hmm. If you wrote your own memoir, you know, what would you write? Oh, that's probably a very good way to get some clarity. There's a lot of questions here. I'm not sure if we want to go through them all, but... Are there any that really jump out at you? I, I hadn't read them. I, I just okay. pasted <laughs> them into the blog. I figured okay. I already knew what they were about, but... Okay, there's one more that I think is important. I tend to be very sure of myself and stick to my own preferences, even when the group I'm with expresses different preferences. So to me, that's one of those reverse things, right? Well, that's from the other scale. That's from the sense of self scale, which I'm okay, okay with. But just FYI, that's a related but different scale. I tend okay. to be sure of myself. So what do you think that means? To me, I don't know. I just picked up on it, obviously, because, you know, how I don't miss an opportunity to talk about boundaries. And to me, that's about being able to set a boundary between oneself and a group. Well, do you think that that's like laudable or problematic? Well, I think it's laudable to be able to say, okay, this is where I end and someone else begins. I think that's what, when we talk about, you know, self-concept clarity, if people don't know that like, well, this is me and this is the other person or, or somebody else's belief, then that's where things get really murky. I think if, if you said, well, I, that's always true, right? I, I mm-hmm. tend to be very sure of myself, even when I don't go along with the group, then you do, you'd say that person has a very strong sense of self. Right. That could work with you, for you, or against you, depending mm-hmm. on the context, right? Right. And some people would say that that's the way you should be, right? Because it could almost go to cultural values, like rugged individualism. And like, mm-hmm. that's how Americans are supposed to be. So I wonder about the cultural overlay as well. Whereas mm-hmm. in quote unquote, Eastern cultures, it's more communal. So it'd be very different to be someone who sticks to their own preferences, even when the group expresses different preferences, you know, in one context versus another. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking about like the mask wearing type thing. I don't uh, know if that, but that just came to mind. Right. Like if you're mm-hmm. a bit of a maverick, you know, that can serve yeah. you, but it also sets you apart and in an extreme situation can get you ostracized. I know. I just thought that was interesting because that is, I think, one of the ways, you know, when we think about like social media, what we're taking in and even this idea like on Facebook, like being a part of this group or that group and what it means. Right. Well, people tend to gravitate, as you're saying, toward what's familiar. And then that leads to a siloing effect, which actually gets in the way of people communicating Mm -hmm. when there are differences. So So what do you mean by siloing effect? Well, people get compartmentalized from each other. So all Mm -hmm. your Facebook friends have the same political beliefs. 
unless right. you happen to be someone who stands in the spaces more. Yeah. And that and that leads to problems because it gets in the way of conflict resolution between groups of people, just right. like not being able to resolve conflicts within oneself causes problems. Yeah. And, you know, the inside is reflected in the outside and vice versa. So if you end up in an echo chamber, then it doesn't help you to change your beliefs if you need to. Yeah. When it comes to relationships, it's a little like that as well. Like a relationship can be a kind of an echo chamber, you know, at worst, mm -hmm. people reinforce one another's negatives. At best, you know, they're helping each other be vibrant and it serves as a secure base to ex explore and change, you know, just mm -hmm. as a child would want their parent, you know, to be a secure base for exploring the mm -hmm. world and being creative. One of the other things in, in, the, in the paper about anxious attachment and self concept clarity, predicting people wanting to get back together after a breakup. They also suggested that some people who are more on the dismissive side, you know, less preoccupied with making the last relationship work, might be more likely to find someone on the rebound in order to mm. restore a sense of self. That's interesting. And, and I know there are people who sort of can't stand being single. Yeah, maybe that's one of the reasons why I wonder what it would mean to go back to an old, well, I guess, yeah, if you're a dismissive attachment style, it's very easy probably to cut ties and move on. Whereas yeah, like not, not being able to be alone though. Right. And not being able to be alone, but also not needing, you know, any time to sort of heal. <laughs> to grieve. Yeah. Or adapt. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Being on the rebound can distract. Yeah. Sometimes it can be very useful for people too. Well, it's a it's a defense, right, against the sadness and the loss of of the first relationship. That's why it's like rebound. You're bouncing back because it's too hard to to be down. You could see it as a defense, but but someone might say that was pathologizing a normal response. Maybe there's something healthy about mixing it up with someone new and having fun and you know cutting loose after being stuck in a relationship wow, for a while. Man, this is harsh. Not necessarily pathological. I think we'll we'll just disagree on that one. Well, I think it's very individual. I don't I don't have mm. like a way that I think one size fits all people. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think it's true. Sometimes people can use rebound relationships defensively against dealing with grief or loneliness. But I also know of situations where I, I think it was a good choice for them for non for, for healthier reasons, you know, mm -hmm. including self exploration. Because not everyone needs to be in a monogamous relationship all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, unless part of your self-concept is like, oh, I always am someone who's in a relationship. Doesn't matter who, but you know, if I'm not in a relationship, it means there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not desirable, something like that. Mm -hmm. well, that probably does have a lot to do with self-concept. How about people who go back to old, old flames? How about it? Well, when you were talking about like the idea that people could get involved in something early in mm -hmm. life, come back to another part of themselves later. But part of that sometimes can be sort of revisiting the past. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why there's something when people talk about like high school sweetheart or college sweetheart, you know, because usually or traditionally, I guess that that gets looked back on as like there's some nostalgia to it. Right. And it represents like a certain time in life and a certain self. It can be like a psychological time machine. Right. Plus, a lot of times that person has really positive feelings about you, especially after a number of years. Mm -hmm. Initial, uh, you know, heartbreak fades and then, you know, 
I think it's, it's different. And maybe that's why people enjoy revisiting or fantasizing about revisiting. I don't actually know that many people that end up getting back together with and, and marrying. I don't know what the data is on that, yeah. but it's but, certainly a trope. You know, it's an idea that people have mm -hmm. of returning to an earlier love. The general idea of finding like one's soulmate mm -hmm. and that will lead to happiness is very much a feature of individual identity. And that gives me an idea. I mean, I know we both have to go now, but like, you know, if we wanted to expand upon this and just talking about this idea of like the twin flame, the soulmate and what that means, because I think that that in a lot of people's minds and it's to me kind of a toxic concept, right? This idea that people would be two halves of, of the same flame, it makes me nervous because it's like, why we can't be whole just within ourselves. Right. That's an old idea, I think, maybe from Aristotle about the origin mm -hmm. of the sexes. Yeah. yeah sort yeah. of being split in two by Zeus into yeah. different parts. Interesting. Also a great song in, in the musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch. The origin oh, really? of love. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a okay. it's wonderful it's a wonderful musical. Okay. And there's a good video. So if people are inspired by this conversation, again, mm -hmm. we would love to hear from you. Yeah, maybe we'll follow up on it a little bit and address some questions. What's our email? Hello at doorknobcomments.com. Yes. And by the time this gets edited and posted, we will probably be on Instagram already. So that's pretty exciting. I think it's been a long time coming. So Absolutely. people can follow All us right. there. All right. Thanks. Treat. Okay. <laughs> Bye. One disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any type of medicine. It's not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment.